I think my views on parturition can be summed up by one of my notes, which is, oh no, Paris loves Kiss. Yeah, so remember last week when I told you that, that Paris tried to did... forget that. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a thing that's happening, and uh, it also apparently crops up again in what? Persistence of Vision uh, and Kess's hallucination. Uh, yeah, I don't, um, I don't know. I, I'm getting a sense from you, perhaps that I mean, I know you well enough at this point in terms of Star Trek that I kind of know the episodes. I that hate love react triangles. Well to. <laughs> I just they're yeah. stupid. I don't care. I I think that um I I think that Parturition is a uh decent episode of yeah. Star Trek that is weighed down by a very questionable character choice. <laughs> I and, well, I mean I guess my question is is Neelix's jealousy done? Like was this their resolution of that and after this he's learned his lesson and he you know he realizes, no, Kess actually loves me and I trust her and fine. Like, as I understand it, yes. As I remember it, yes. This is the end of that storyline. Okay. It is the end of Neelix's jealousy. I think that, well, okay. So here's the thing with, with we have to grapple with Neelix and Kess and, and Tom Paris because, interestingly enough, so Michael Piller uh, went away actually for like a few, I don't know if it was a few months or kind of the end of the first season of the show. And he felt like he had, he had gone and he had done this show called legend, which was a flop for UPN. I've never heard of it. So I assume so. Yeah. I don't know what the hell it was. So he kind of felt like the show was getting a little bit away from where he wanted it to be in the first episode of the, the, the first uh, kind of the end of the first season, which would also include, Episodes like yeah. Twisted, you know, the ones that were held over from the first season. So, and one of the character choices that that was made in those episodes, if you remember, was was Neelix's jealousy. And that was a, I don't know why they thought that was going to be a good idea. I don't know where they thought that was going mm. to go. But as I understand it, when Michael Pillar came back and said, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I was ostensibly the showrunner for the entire first season of the show i kind of was distracted by this other show now i'm back uh we need to put this character beat to rest it's not interesting and we don't have anything to do with it now god bless michael pillar for that because i can certainly see another version of star trek voyager where neelix is violently jealous of of every man that talks to Cass for for um a, a, a whole season and that would get increasingly difficult to watch and increasingly creepy and increasingly um kind of the thing where Star Trek doesn't really understand the yeah. ramifications of its own gender politics. Like, I, Neelix is one of my favorite early characters, and I haven't been able to stand him, so I'm really looking forward to liking Neelix again, because I miss that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a, a huge Neelix fan. I, I think he's generally fine. Um, I think that, that I mean, it, well, you'll see in Persistence of Vision, for example, the character seems to be getting back to a place where he was before this ill-advised choice was made on the writer's part. I mean, aside from all of that, though, do, do you kind of, I don't know, I, I think that <laughs> I, there's, well, there's two things going on here, right? I think, I think we have to deal with Tom Paris having this secret crush on Cass, and then we also have to deal with Neelix being jealous of that. And which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, I'll, I'll take the vegetarian plate. Um, let's, let's do the Neelix work, fine. So... Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I, I, jealousy is obviously a thing that exists. I think that that it is a socially acceptable way for men to um, 
express emotion in our culture. And I think that that is something that the show kind of is not aware of or does not remember, or the writers are not aware of this. The writers are not woke, to, to use the <laughs> phrase, the 21st century uh, term, in that way. And uh, I don't really find it very interesting to watch a man dictate to a woman who she can and cannot talk to because they might fuck. Uh, on the other hand, I think that perhaps the implication is that Neelix feels threatened by Tom Paris less because Tom Paris has a secret crush on Cass and more because Neelix has some self-esteem issues or well, that's, that's feelings the... of inadequacy because Cass is much more attractive than he is. I mean, this is viewing, this is that whole, you know, Reddit thing where you view relationships very transactionally and view in terms of value and stuff. And so, yes, Neelix would see Paris as somebody with higher value, right? He's better looking. He's the pilot. He's on the bridge. He's, you know, handsome and witty and all of these things that Neelix doesn't feel that he is. Neelix feels he's funny looking. He's just the cook, that kind of a thing. And I mean... This is a fallacy that people get into without recognizing that it doesn't really matter. uh, Kess loves Neelix because Kess loves Neelix, and that's, you know, who she has chosen to be with. And, you know, that's the person that she's given her heart to, and she's happy. And it doesn't really matter what Tom Paris feels about her because she views him as a friend and nothing else. And either way, she has Neelix. I mean, I think it's very telling that when they finally do have their heart-to-heart on Neelix in Paris, he first says, yes, I have this crush, but I would never because I respect you. And it isn't only until a minute later that he says, by the way, have you ever seen her? You're the apple of her eye. You know, she doesn't even care. You right. know, I, 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 I mean, on the one hand, both, points are valid and maybe I am splitting hairs by saying you know he should have talked about Kess first because certainly I don't think it's inappropriate for Paris to say listen I have I am not the kind of person who's going to break up your marriage because of you know my my affection for both of you I'm not going to do that and number two I have no chance anyway I mean they, maybe that's I that's the intent of it but again it's a love triangle no matter what and I still find this stupid yeah, well, I guess the question is, why do you find them stupid? Because I don't really have that kind of a jealousy, and I guess to my mind, it's, you know, something, if the two of them just fucking get it over with, maybe it'll be out of their systems, and if 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 they really want to be with each other and not me, then I I would rather be, you know, not be in this situation, I would rather be single than in a, an, an unhappy relationship if the person wants to move on. I'm not, right. I I don't really just have that sense of possession in a relationship, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I I think I'm with you. I don't really have it either. I mean, I think that there is a certain. I mean, I we we kind of resolve not to talk about uh, straight people, but hey, this you know the episode keeps the the show keeps giving it to us, so we got <laughs> we got to deal with what we're given sometimes. Uh, is that I'm not saying that that queer people can be jealous, and I'm not saying that queer people can't. Uh, yeah. view relationships in the same way that straight people can. I mean, uh, uh, queer people and straight people are still, you know, human beings. Um, but it, you know, to Mike Pence, uh, uh, Mike Pence's opinions to the contrary. But uh, listen, even it, he has queer aspects. I mean, he has sex with his mother, so that's you know certainly not <laughs> heteronormative. That is true. Yeah, that yeah, you're right. Like I kind of feel like 
this is a thing in general well, I mean, I, uh, let's take sexual preference or orientations or whatever out of the equation no i don't think i want to well, though because well, I, I just want to impa- say for one for one second because neelix likes kes kes like neelix neelix likes Tom, Tom likes Neelix, Kess likes Tom, Tom likes Kess. Like, if there weren't some incompatible orientations there, I'd say, well, the three of them should just have sex together. And that's what would happen if it was my boyfriend and another dude that we were in the situation with. I hate to say, but. So well, to... no, but I, but how could, but then how are you taking sexuality out of it? Well, I think that I, that's I, part I'm, of just, the... I'm just for the moment, let's take it out of this, out of this context. Why can't they all have sex together? Well, because this is a very heteronormative show where that sort yes. of thing would never happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's exactly where I was going with that is that the, the queer people in general um, do have to grapple with, with the realities of, of, of coming to terms with a sort of non-normal sexuality anyway. So, so other yeah. non-normal aspects of sexuality are not as taboo to, to queer people because they've already had to grapple with the fact that they uh, are romantically and, and sexually attracted to uh, the same gender. So that is that is definitely a thing. And I don't think it's something that straight people generally have to grapple with very much. I mean, yeah. I think there's probably, I, I mean, maybe not so much now, but I think that, that certainly uh, in the time that this show was made 22 years ago, hmm. there probably was still more of a uh, problem with straight people grappling with polyamory with whatever and yeah it, i mean i'm of the opinion that love is not bad and being attracted to somebody is not a horrible thing like that's a i i i for tom to be to to find kes attractive and nice to be around is a compliment to kes isn't it <laughs> like that's i mean not, i that's not a I bad think, thing well yeah because it, it it creates this sort of it creates this sort of false dichotomy like the friend zone right yeah. like Tom Paris can't just be friends with Cass and Tom Paris. Like you could be, you can be sexually attracted to someone that you consider a friend and you can also have sex with them and still be friends with them and not have it become romantic. I mean, that's certainly a thing that exists. Well, I, have I myself s- have had that. I mean, so- this is reminding me of DS9 and Dax, actually the one episode where, um, uh, on a Troy had the s- psychic space hornies and everybody was having their emotions, uh, very heightened and you had Dax, you know, flirting and all over Ben Sisko and when in the rest of the series, they really had no romantic attraction to each other. They were just very good friends, uh, given, and for me, given from Dax's perspective, she is the kind of person who could find a friend attractive, who could see a situation in which they would sleep together, but would recognize that, Ben doesn't have these feelings, and so not on the table, and not a big regret of mine, but still, you know, I think he's a nice person and very handsome, and that's a good thing. Again, from Dax, I liked that treatment of that note. Yeah, I, I think that, well, uh, yeah, I don't want to necessarily <laughs> compare DS9 and Voyager at this point, but we can do that much later. I, I do think that, that, I mean, I don't know, I guess for me, I look at this and I say, aside from all of the heteronormativity and the gender politics yeah. of it, and the sort of unthinking acceptance of a very sort of, quote unquote, normal view of of heterosexuality or, or, or human sexuality, I should say, because in the world of Star Trek, homosexuality or, or queerness does not exist. It, what are we supposed to get out of this like what what it, what exactly is this telling us about who neelix is yeah. who Kess is who who tom paris is i mean i do like the fact that i love the scene between the doctor and Kess actually because yeah. 
the doctor is like the the wokeness person on the show where he's <laughs> essentially like Kess, this is not your problem yeah you, you didn't don't... you did nothing to cause the problem so you can't fix it yeah right like you don't this is not your problem to solve you don't have to do the emotional labor here yeah. like you just need to let them work it out and if neelix is not believing you when you say what you are telling him yeah. then that's not your problem and yeah. I like the doctor for that reason. I yeah. think that that is a valid read on the situation. And the one thing I do appreciate about this entire horrible <laughs> jealousy storyline is that Cass has always been very, very bemused by it. And it's sort of like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Well, I, I do like that in this episode, she finally gets pissed off and is angry and... I I, I've said, like, Kes is is the Mary Sue. She's a little too perfect. And the fact that she gets really pissed off about something is like, good, a negative emotion. Great. Do more of that. Like, this this week in both of these episodes, I find I'm liking Kes a little more because she's getting a little more of – they're figuring out how to make her a little more well-rounded. She isn't always this pure, perfect thing. Yeah, and I and I think also that that part of this as well could be construed as maybe just Cass is a little naive, right? Yeah, like, yeah. They're... And that and she's young. She she is in a she's in a new situation, but but she was not. Uh, you know, aside from the fact that she was kidnapped by the Kazan, <laughs> it's not like she she led a very um, cosmopolitan life. Let's say. I mean, I don't really yeah. get the sense that the Ocampan homeworld, where they were living in one underground city, was was the most diverse or interesting place yeah. to, ever, to ever live in. So there there was an insularity to her experiences that perhaps is starting to be shaken off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the doctor even says, you know, you're two. You could accept that you might not know everything. And she's like, oh yeah, I am only two. It's true. Um, she's learning again, learning very quickly. Certainly having her share of interesting experiences and people on this ship, but. There will be some blind spots. Um, I mean, there is a degree to which I think the show could justify Neelix having certain possessiveness because he has, in his backstory, lost literally everything he had. It's uh, I, You can certainly see somebody whose homeworld was destroyed and who lost everybody he loved and who spent the next years as a salvaged junk man suddenly having a good having a good life and wanting to fight tooth and nail any threat and yet at the same time his work is is to realize that Tom Paris is not a threat and i think this again in this episode he finally does and i'm glad they get to it relatively quickly enough because yeah, but I, I also think that we, we need to grapple with the fact that, I mean, talking about things that the show doesn't really understand the full ramifications of is the fact that at the beginning of the episode, Neelix is essentially stalking Kess. <laughs> I mean, like, there are parts to it which just, and I don't think the show is realizing exactly how dark or problematic that, that opening is, but it is, and... It's not okay that Neelix is skulking around in the shadows angrily watching Kess engage with another man. Like No, just it's something... high school shit. Like well, that's dark it, high school stuff. It is well, I think the show thinks it is, but I think it's deeper than that because people get stalked in Yeah. The, the adult world and it's not a good thing. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think the show recognize I, I think the show thinks that Neelix is being just a little insecure about it when he's either doing some very dark problematic behavior or on the level of a 16-year-old 
who having that level of emotional maturity, which as you get older becomes more and more problematic. Yeah, but I was a 16 year old and I never stalked anyone. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I think yeah, you're, 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 you're right. a little there's a di- bit there's of a, a, there's a difference between stalking and I know what classes she's in. Fair enough. One yeah. is uncomfortable. The other is bad. I think they're both stalking, but okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave this point aside. I, I just think that the show is not really realizing exactly how disturbing that is. Uh, Maybe I'm not. I, I'm thinking in ter- we're both we're the show and I are both thinking of terms in, in terms of television cliches and not thinking of the real world ramifications, I guess. Yeah, like, don't do that. Um, but I think that, that the other part of it that I think is really, really weird then, right, is is essentially the fact that the show is fixing the Neelix and Tom Paris problem by making them a same-sex couple with a child <laughs> like like there's a weird thing where it's like the episode and, and star trek in general have a lot of problems with heteronormativity and, and erasure of, of queer people and queer experience but at the same time it does something bizarre like this where essentially it is queering the relationship between neelix and tom paris and turning them into same-sex parents uh, to the degree that neelix is proudly calling himself a godmother yeah right <laughs> so i just don't really know like what was going on in their minds with this i think that maybe it speaks to the general confusion around americans and sexuality i don't Hmm. know maybe that's a stretch but it's just bizarre to me i i i just i mean it it is interesting giving neelix a baby plot a couple episodes after he after um has thought she could get after you know what what episode was that even called again elosium after the elosium um it is interesting that they're giving him a baby plot and i don't know if they necessarily thought it seems like it's not thought any further beyond hey it would be funny to have two rivals have to take care of a baby and that's how they figure out their differences i mean isn't that the plot of three men and a baby which leonard nimoy directed that is very true. I mean, I do th- I do think to a certain degree that, that this is a... They wanted to give them a problem to solve, obviously, that yeah. they could not run away from. And this is probably about as good a one as you could come up with. Like, I don't necessarily have a problem with this episode. I, I think it's it's well done, and I don't hate it. I mean, I don't think the baby stuff is that bad, and I think that no. in terms of giving them a real problem that they would both almost immediately say, okay, you know what? This is not about us. This is about this baby. I think it's fine. And, you know, it also speaks to Star Trek's love of, you know, uh, 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 life in all its forms and all that kind of stuff. I mean, at this point, it's kind of a little bit of a cliche. But, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I don't know. It doesn't really... I expected this to be a horrible episode, and it was kind of all right. I I was surprised that the baby came in because as I was watching it, I'm like... They have enough stuff they're dealing with, and they're going to put a baby on top of this. But uh, it did feel, even if we at the end of the day don't know who these, who the species is, or what the deal is with what's the deal with the species. Uh, <laughs> we well, it, it, it's funny that because the Netflix description of this says you know they have to deal with a baby ward on their alien planet and. For some reason, I didn't think that it would be an abandoned baby. I thought it was like a – this was their legal sentence that they have to take care of a baby or something, which was reminding me of the sentence to be a butler. I don't know. I thought it was something like, you know, Neelix and Tom Paris accidentally kill the mother and while they have to get the – I 
don't know. What? <laughs> I, 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 I was... And also based on the Netflix picture, which is Harry Kim and Tom Paris making very awkward expressions, I was also picturing the episode being the two of them for some reason. So I had a very different episode in mind, and this turned out to be better than that one. So I guess bonus? That's always a good thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I like it. I, I mean, aside from that, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really want to engage with the plot of this episode. I, I don't think it matters no. very much. I the alien baby, they have some weird reproductive system where they have to take their, they go to this planet to hatch them and then they come back and they, I don't know. I mean, whatever. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. I mean, I guess it's a nice thing that one of the, I mean, I don't know, because one of the things that people always talk about is the fact that, that Voyager doesn't do character stuff very much, but I'm finding yeah. that to be not, not the case at all. Like this episode, if this episode didn't have character work to do, it would have been interminably boring. I mean, and, and that's really what it comes down to, I think, yeah. is that. It, I mean, it maybe, all works fine. Maybe they just mean that they don't like the characters as much as DS9 or TNG, which were, and so they think of those as more character focused. Certainly, people like Harry Kim aren't as well defined as Captain as Picard or who? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it could be coming from that point. I, I suppose that's true. I, I don't know. I I, I think that. Well, I, I, I was thinking – this episode is making me think about, again, the infamous TNG dictum at the beginning. Characters cannot argue. Uh, you know, Captain Picard can declare an argument over. And DS9 had a lot more of the character uh, disagreements, but I think a lot of those were more political in nature. In other words, you'd have stuff like um, Kira and Sisko disagreeing about the direction of Bejor or something like that, and here they are. This is solely a personal problem between uh, Paris and Neelix to the degree that Janeway just kind of annoyed. Well, solve it before the mission. I don't care. Right. Yeah, she she doesn't care. I mean, I, I like that a lot, actually. I like that scene in the—I mean, we didn't talk about the, the food fight scene because who the fuck cares? But <laughs> it, it is the case where Janeway is—I is, think she's much more of a captain in the— Cisco mold than the mm. Picard mold. I, I I think that Picard would not have been so dismissive of their interpersonal problems, whereas yeah. Cisco definitely would have, and Des- Cisco has been dismissive of people's <laughs> interpersonal problems in the past. And and Janeway is definitely more of that mold, yeah. where she's like, I don't give a shit about this, and well, you just she- need to figure this out. There is an obvious food fight, and I'm sure she. Janeway's not stupid. I mean, the put it this way. The doctor says at one point, oh, I see, you know, I, I, I notice Paris's heart rate elevating. But, you know, even people who aren't so finely, you know, don't have such fine instruments can tell. I'm sure Janeway has an idea of what's going on between the two of them, sees that they were involved in a literal food fight. And again, it's like, this is high school bullshit. If this were a real problem, I'd help you deal with this. But this is not a real problem. Okay, I have to ask a really serious question here, though. Do people actually get into food fights? Is this a thing that actually exists? Because this seems like one of those television things, like people over the age of 15 caring about Halloween, that... Uh, Well, people over the age of 15 do care about Halloween, and they're idiots. But uh, I work in a cafeteria, and I have never witnessed a food fight. So uh, that is my... It's anecdotal, but it is my... uh, take on the situation I'll, I'll i'll take it 
So the last thing I want to say, uh, I have a fan, I have a, a fan theory about this episode that I want to reveal right now before we move on. I'm, to I love fan vision. theories. Okay, so so um, uh, Janeway has a new hairstyle in this episode. Her hair is is noticeably shorter, yeah. and, and it's a bob instead of her little, you know, whatever you call it thing. I don't know anything about hairstyle, so I apologize for my uh, tripping over terminology. Uh, and and also Neelix is serving hair pasta, and he says that it comes from this like species. Uh, do do you actually? I mean, do you think that he's actually serving them Janeway's hair? I don't think she had enough hair for the amount of pasta, and also he's not really. He should be tossing the pasta and the spaghetti together, and I don't think that was the right sauce for for a, a noodle shape of pasta. But otherwise, um, but but it is hair, so it's different from real pasta. So maybe it is. You don't know. Have you ever cooked hair before, Richard? Uh, On purpose? <laughs> we, we, I, I work at a cafeteria, so we're we're not going to say anything more. Um, <laughs> I like how now I like how they are continuing the tradition, starting in the original series with heating rocks with the phaser. Every single series oh, yeah. has made a point to have at least one scene where they heat rocks with the phaser, and I love that for some reason. It's a nice little thing, and it's, it makes sense. It's a standard Starfleet thing, yeah. <laughs> it's in the book. All right, let's talk about Persistence of Vision. We find out about the Bothans from Star Wars, so it's really nice to have that crossover. I, I think it is, too, and I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, I don't know how I feel about this episode, and I, I, I think okay. you need to help me figure it out because there's a lot about it that I like. There's a lot about it that I don't like. Uh, and I think the ending is uh, perhaps the most we don't actually care about the plot <laughs> of this episode that has ever existed in Star Trek to this point. Because essentially we have an one alien dude that I think was pretending to be an entire species and was keeping people out of his imaginary empire through telepathy. And he disappears and he wasn't ever actually there and the ships weren't there. And See, they don't. A- care to find out why it happened and i just find that incredibly unsatisfying yeah i they could have built this up to be uh, i i because i i'm thinking of for example the introduction of the vorta the, where, where it's just she turns out to have much more strong powers than they thought and we're going to be a big threat and they turn out to be a threat i assume we are never going to see this species again uh if they wanted to make this be a big threat, this could have been a hell of an introductory episode in I can fuck up your ship and we're not even within scanner range. That's how powerful we are. You have no idea how many of us there are. You have no idea where our space is. Fear us. That could have been an ending for this, but you're right. It's I, I'm getting the sense that this is all that we'll ever see of them and they just wanted to end the episode somehow. Well, you know, and I don't think that's a problem. I don't think you need yeah. to recreate what DS9 did. Well, DS9 didn't even do it at this point. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But, but I think that, that, you know, the one thing about the Voyager is that it's always moving forward. And so yeah. I don't really have a problem with, with alien species not reoccurring. I, it, it makes sense to me that they wouldn't reoccur. I mean, why, why would they reoccur unless they're being chased or something? I mean, certainly. Something like uh, the Kazon where they have a larger presence. Yeah, but. Right. Or, or the Vidians, for example. I mean, they have like a larger space. You know, okay, it makes sense. Whatever. But. And and certainly, I don't really get a really strong sense that um, these aliens were. I don't know. I, I guess because I want to grapple with this and then move on to, to the other part of the episode, which I find is much better because persistence of vision essentially is, is, is two separate stories. It's, it's the story of 
this alien species or this alien dude. I don't know which it is. And then it's also this very, very strange episode that is trying to be sort of Voyager's naked time, naked now. Yeah. That that's kind of revealing things about our characters in a very strange, uh, 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 almost dreamlike way. And I think it works okay, but the resolution but the res the resolution is so lazy, and the resolution is so completely uninterested in. Uh, the actual story of the episode that I don't really know how to grapple with it other than to say that it is a complete whiff of mm. a plot. Well, put it this way. I'm not entirely sure how realistic the hallucinations are to feeling. Certainly someone like Tom Paris who has these well-established feelings about his father. This is his mental image of his father, but uh, for Janeway, uh, Mark saying, oh, you're in love with somebody else. All she's doing is playing a hollow novel thing. You know, if she's pretending to be in love with this Lord, what's his name in the hollow novel, she is just relaxing. It's, she's just getting caught up in the story. She's not at, I, she has nothing to feel guilty towards Mark about. So it's very strange that that would be Mark's voice in her head. Um, and so I do, and they leave us with this, and let's talk about wanting to have sex with people that you respect and have a very good, friendly relationship with. Bolana's fantasy about Chakotay, and at the end, she's not sure, is this actually how I feel? Is this just a weirdness of the, did the alien just pick the weirdest person for me to be attracted to in, in, in order to just mess me up a bit? And Janeway's advice is literally, uh, you need to stare those feelings in the eye and lock them away. Uh, now, that is definitely something she would – that is definitely Jane Way's take on a lesson she probably learned from Tuvok who – that's there's, the a, there's a reason Jane Way is not a therapist. Yeah. I mean <laughs> that, that, that's the – and especially to give that advice to a Klingon. I mean Klingons don't lock any feelings inside. That's not the Klingon way and Well there I not not to not to change the subject but but I actually think that um someone who listens to the show uh I, I like to give uh shout outs to people that have good good theories that I've never thought about or, or good points about about Star Trek that I've never thought about. And uh someone left a comment that basically said um that Bellana is essentially uh Spock where you know she is half Klingon and half yeah. human, but she views herself as human in the same way that Spock was half human and half Vulcan, but he viewed himself as Vulcan. So, Balana doesn't really. She she's she's not very. I mean, I think you see that in faces, right? Where she's very yeah. uh, she's very upset about the fact that um, she has to be rejoined with her Klingon half because she feels like as the human half that is the real half and that she is finally whole the first time in her life. And so I don't know that I necessarily think that she has these sort of like weird okay. violent fantasies all the time because she's, no, no, she's kind fair. of sublimating that in a way. I don't know. I mean, I'm just I'm just spitballing here, but I I think that that is the case to to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I mean, from what we've seen with Bel- from what we know of Polana, is she the kind of person who will just keep the secret and let it eat away in her or ignore it? Or is she the kind of person who would prefer to to deal with it directly? I'm you know, sure. I don't I, I don't know. I don't know that we have enough information about her yeah. to really know that. I mean, aside from. Uh, yeah, we don't know. I, I, I don't think that we have a good sense of, of her interpersonal style yet. 
right? I mean, she's she's been able to to form a little bit of a friendship with uh, uh, Starfleet, right? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Kim, but uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that she's and she obviously has some sort of connection with Janeway. They they've had a couple of scenes together that do make the uh, do make it clear that Janeway and Bellana like each other and, and yeah. respect each other and will listen to each other. I mean, that is not a the the end scene of this episode is not a captain hmm. talking to her subordinate. It is in a sense two friends or people that are on the path to becoming friends having a conversation about a very emotionally taxing situation they both experienced. You know, Janeway does seem to, I mean, certainly with Harry Kim in, in, in after emanations, again, she said, you need to take a couple of days off and think about this. Janeway is very much a person who encourages introspection. Certainly she doesn't want, I mean, she doesn't just say lock those feelings away. She says, you need to stare that feeling in the face and lock it away. Uh, she does. It, she is encouraging Balana to examine this feeling and deal with it, but at the same time, recognizing I think that there is a lot that now certainly Janeway has more of a responsibility to keep things inside. She is the captain. It is what she feels her role is, but she does d- definitely see herself in Balana as well, and so that is in the terms of mentoring. If Janeway is a role model for Balana Torres, well. One of the things Janeway does is she will keep a lot of feelings to herself because it's just not appropriate for the captain. Yeah, yeah, but but I also think that Janeway's advice to Balana is is really bad advice. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, I I I guess I'm saying I understand where it's coming from if it isn't necessarily the best advice. Yeah. Okay. I, I understand that. I mean, because I think that one of the one of the. I mean, we need to grapple with with what is the emotional through line of of Janeway in this episode because to a large yeah. degree this is a Janeway episode and this oh, is yeah. this is probably the first Janeway episode we've had. I mean, certainly she has played a primary role in other episodes before, like Prime Factors or Time and Again, but. This is really an episode which is about an emotional journey that Janeway is making. And I think that, you know, for me, I look at this and it's an interesting way to say that Janeway has emotional or sexual needs that are not being met. She is the captain. Yeah. She has to maintain a level of decorum. She is not able to to date anybody. She is not able to to have sex with anybody, certainly, on the ship. And she also has this complication of of her her boyfriend or husband or whoever it is, Mark, back back on Earth. And she is using the hollow novel in a certain way to yeah. relax. And that's the point of the scene with the doctor. And I want to talk about the doctor as well. But I also think that her level of desire for the hollow novel character and her feeling of guilt about that both surprise her. And that is really where the yeah. episode starts, right? And so the entire episode is essentially about Janeway being, I don't think she's lonely, but I think that there is a, a, a physical need there that is not and an emotional need that is not being met. And so when you talk about your confusion around her hallucination of Mark yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about no, how that's... that's more about Janeway's feelings of guilt over that, which are, they're irrational, but yeah, no, that actually makes sense. Yeah. She, she, worries that is she being untrue to the memory of mark who she i mean he he says i'm waiting patiently and faithfully to you yeah he is taking the voice of her evil conscience certainly spurred on by the stress of the of the events of the episode and 
this alien finding the cracks and slipping in. Um, right. He is, I mean, he, the Mark that we see is the worst possible ver- nightmare version of Mark. It's true. And one who is playing on any even dumb fears. You know, her guilt – she may never in in you know consciously feel guilt for going to the Hall of Novel. She – probably knows completely this is just fun it's a little fantasy you know if i relax for an hour and then go to bed whatever like i've hurt nobody but again this is a subconscious vulnerability that it's preying on yeah okay yeah because i i i think that's all right and i i mean the other part of that as well is that mark of course is is being the 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 you know uh the the saint here i mean the saint version of the character yeah where where i mean you're saying he's a bad version of it but he's a bad version of it for janeway not for himself and because he's saying well i'm waiting for you and the martyr you know, Jane, version of him yeah the martyr version of him. i mean that is what janeway is fearing that's why she's feeling guilty now we don't actually know if mark is waiting for her or not i mean we have no idea what's going on back on the alpha quadrant uh but well we do but it doesn't have anything to do with voyager um and so there, there is that part of it as well, I think, where, you know, at the end of the episode, Janeway is not, she has not come to terms with this fact yet. And, and I, I, I keep linking this in my mind back to that one uh, scene, I think, where she's talking to, to Chakotay in one episode where she says it's, it's really a shame that there's no counselor on board. Because yeah. there is, there are some emotional needs that are being met, and I think you see that in something like Elosium as well, where she's saying, "Well, you know, I mean, Starfleet has always been very, very reticent to to govern the the interpersonal lives yeah. of its of its members, and you know, I as the captain do not have that luxury, but I can't really stop my crew members from from finding solace in each other's arms, and so you know." she doesn't really come to any terms with that, but I think that she's maybe at least at the end of the episode realizing that it is a problem. Yeah. I mean, because if she were to number one, she's the captain, it would be, it, it, it could probably, it could probably very easily be cons- misconstrued as sexual harassment fr- with anybody that she picks because everybody is below her. Um, she can't just have a one night stand because everybody is going to be paying attention and whoever she picks is, I mean, really, if she were to, she and Chakotay were to have an evening together, it couldn't be a casual evening. It would be mom and dad are finally getting back together, right? It would be that level. So, yeah. yeah, And I also think part of her dealing with Mark is a symbol for how she's going to view this journey. Remember a couple weeks ago, they were starting to deal with we might have to become a generation ship. If they are truly becoming a generation ship... She is giving Mark up, and because she knows she'll never see him again, or they will be very, very, very old by the time they finally do. And in that case, maybe him. In that case, him waiting for around for her is kind of the worst thing for him to do. She would. She may even prefer him to move on if they know, so at least he can find some happiness. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right because I. I think the other part of that is is the 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 people from their lives that they see in those hallucinations. I mean, Janeway of course is seeing Mark, but uh, you know, uh, Tuvok sees his wife, Tom yeah. Paris sees his father. Okay. Uh, but, yeah. but Kim sees Libby, his girlfriend who they don't even bother to show because we saw her two episodes ago and who cares? Um, <laughs> so I think that there is a degree to which, you know, there there's each of the characters are. <laughs> I'm having, sorry. I was, I was going to say they could, re- you know, 
maybe they couldn't get the actress to play Libby, but then again, they could have recast it and nobody would have noticed. Yeah, I don't remember what she looked <laughs> like. I think I just saw a blank face there, like a mannequin. No, I, I, I think that's right, but I, I, I wonder about what the choices were to see these various hallucinations, and I don't know that... I mean, I kind of get the sense... I mean, maybe this is a little unfair to the character development of Voyager, but I don't really get a sense that anybody thought anything about it other than, well, we've yeah. mentioned that these people exist before. Yeah, D- Tom Paris doesn't really have a girl back home that he's thinking about. Um, and there hasn't been... I mean, he may have... Se- it may have made more sense for consistency's purpose for him to be hallucinating Kess right back, but I'm glad I am glad they didn't go that route because oh my god, we just dealt with that last week. <laughs> um, yeah, that would have been a mistake. And so yeah, his, his father is the other defining relationship that he has in his life. Um, there, in each case, it's pick, it's picking the person who can bring them down the most, who can flummox them the most, really. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Well, and uh, the other, this is kind of an off the wall question, but but to go back to to Janeway's problems with with not being able to, you know, get any sort of emotional or, or, or sexual or physical intimacy with anybody, um, do, do you think that she could do that with the doctor? Would that be inappropriate? I the doctor has never really shown any feelings of sexual desire so far, and so I. Th- don't think he would enjoy that and so i think for jane way to make that move would be very inappropriate no i no i agree with you i'm just <laughs> saying like like in in general like yeah, if no, the doctor it, does develop more of a sexual romantic or whatever uh, part of his personality eric are you preparing me for future arcs i really need to know this no, the the, the Janeway oh, and the God. Doctor do not get married or anything. Because I was going to say, I mean, because I I I I think that's the implication of the Hollow novel. Like, obviously, she's using, you know, she's taking the slow path to romance with Lord Crumpet or whatever his name is. But um, I looked up the actor, and his last name is Cumpsy, so we're not going to talk about that at all. Let's um, just leave that where it is. But you know, uh, uh, eventually, I I I mean, this is also. We understand that they are not that she is not going into an erotic hollow novel, but we can assume that based on what we know about DS9, if if Captain Janeway wanted something a little more steamy, she would be able to cue it up. It does exist. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think that that I don't know. I I bring this up only because I think that there is a degree to which. Everyone is learning, not learning to respect. I think they are growing to respect the doctor more as a person. Yeah. And I, I mean, we, we haven't talked about the fact that this episode starts out with them trying to develop something that we yeah. saw in, in projections, right? I mean, you, you called that. That's something that they're going to try and do, that they're going to put these uh, hollow projectors in key areas of the ship so the doctor can move yeah. around. And, and partially this came about because the writers were tired of having the doctor stuck in sickbay in the holodeck all the time, which makes sense. But... I think that there is a degree to which if the the doctor from uh uh the first you know part of the first season ordered Janeway to go to the Holland novel because she was feeling stressed out, she would completely blow him off. But yeah. there is a degree to which they are learning to respect the doctor as a person and learning to really trust his judgment. And so it's coming from that place more where I think that maybe the doctor would be the only person on the ship that yeah. could have that kind of relationship with Janeway. I'm not saying it ever happens, but it I just mean, seems likely to me. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, 
the doctor is certainly evolving as he goes on. He is becoming more. I mean, I, I think it was interesting him saying to Cass, well, you're only two. There's some things you might not, you know, uh, understand yet. He's not even a year old, is he? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he he really has not had, and it's really only been, and it wasn't even at the beginning that he was on as long as he wanted to be. So he is, but he, again, he too is evolving and developing very quickly into more of a person by the day. I mean, his, even look at the quality of of his, I, I'm going back into uh, Two Men and a Baby again, but the quality of his advice to Kess in Elosium versus the quality of his advice to Kess in Parturition is he's improved, right? He actually does give her the counseling that she needs in that situation. In Elogium, he's not quite able to. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, the Doctor is definitely growing as a person. You can see that from, from episode to episode. It, it is happening quickly, um, which which makes sense. And I, I mean, I also think it's interesting in this episode, of course, that, that they talk about how the Doctor was not programmed with, uh, I think he says something like random trivia or something about... You know, but but on the one hand, you're saying, okay, well, that's kind of strange, but he is learning and he is able to learn. And I think that eventually perhaps he also will uh, develop uh, needs that are not going to be met easily. Well, he certainly does. Again, his his visions in projections suggest that he certainly feels a a strong closeness to Kess uh, if he doesn't quite have romantic feelings in real life for her. He, he he's at least very close to her and see where he is in a season, see where he is in two seasons. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, maybe the last thing to talk about before we wrap this episode of the podcast up is uh, the return of Kess's telegraph, tele, telegraphic, yes, telegraphic, uh, telepathic abilities. Um, I don't know that there's much to say about it. The episode doesn't really do much about it. It's revealed that Tuvok has been working with her Um which we didn't know about to develop her telepathic abilities and yeah that was a very obvious oh shit we totally forgot we totally dropped that for a while okay oh let's just i mean that that that's an obvious retcon in a way but they just i i i don't care too much about Kess's telepathic abilities cuz they haven't done anything interesting with them yet i guess yeah but what could they do with them i mean i was since this episode is kind of dealing with telepathic abilities in general I when I when I sat down to watch this episode and as it was unfolding I realized that that Star Trek doesn't Star, Star Trek doesn't care about telepathic abilities. No. It's like they they exist. They are a plot point sometimes, they are useful sometimes, they are a problem sometimes. But in general, it is not a point of friction ever and and it does it's not something that really matters. Yeah. Yeah, again, the 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 it was it was inconsistent from episode to episode in TNG, which I think is the I mean Spock having telepathic abilities is almost an afterthought. It's really only used for the mind meld and not very much more, maybe once once or twice in an offhand. They usually forget about it. Deanna Troy, they never she has a psychic connection with her mother, but that's about it and then she can just sense stuff. Um, do they even have any telepathic main characters in DS9? No. no. I don't know. They didn't. I don't think so. I think that's kind of significant that they just didn't feel like i mean it's something that's it's like time travel right telepathy in star trek is kind of half-assed it's a plot device sometimes they do it well but generally it's a sign that they're being lazy about it and just need to do something i mean at the end when they're saying is this telepathy is this uh 
the technology that you do, it doesn't matter. The show doesn't, as you said, the show doesn't really care about this plot, the plot of this episode as much, but it doesn't matter if it is telepathy or if it is a technology that it, it has. It doesn't matter. They need an alien who can do weird hallucinations to the crew and therefore they get it. However, they get there. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think that in general, I am I am really surprised at at how closely Star Trek Voyager is hewing to the TNG model of of storytelling. Which yeah. I guess I shouldn't be surprised at because again, it's being showrun by Michael Pillar. But it, it's just interesting to me that that it is doing this and that I'm having a, a good time with it. I mean, I think that you know were these two episodes like great revelatory hours of television that I'll remember for the rest of my life? No, they weren't. But they were enjoyable. They told me some things about characters that I'm that I am liking spending time with, and I think that's all you can really ask for sometimes. So I haven't gotten to the point with Voyager that I got to. I think a little quicker with DS Nine, which is where I am actively excited to watch it, and I kind of want to watch it quickly in the week and all of that. Voyager, I'm watching when I have it scheduled to watch because I need to do it for the podcast, and I'm enjoying it. But I haven't gotten to the oh man, I get to watch a Voyager tonight. Take yeah. that for what it's worth. Um, I guess final point I want to make. I mean, I love the series' uh, focus on food and especially you know, Neelix's weird shit that he's always cooking. But <laughs> I love – first of all, two things I noticed. It really bothered me that Janeway took a sandwich in her hand and then put it down back on the plate. That um, bothered me too. Especially because she is a scientist. She would know why not to do that. Um <laughs> And number two, I love that they're really going with her general, her go-to order is vegetable bouillon, and that when she really wants to feel decadent, she gets coffee ice cream. Like, that's yeah. that's yeah. Janeway. Okay. <laughs> yup, that's Janeway. <laughs> All right, well, I think- vegetable bouillon. It's the worst bouillon. It's basically like drinking hot water. I don't know why anybody likes it anyway. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just talked about, parturition or persistence of vision, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trackaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash trackaboutshow, which also supports our other podcast tuning in. In two days, we are releasing our episode on the X-Files, episodes Blood and Sleepless. So it's a good time to jump into that podcast as well. Tuning in, especially is, if you like blood. Yeah. Well, who doesn't like blood? Truckabout is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Truckabout Show is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truckabout. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week, we are going to be talking about the episodes Tattoo, Ooh, and Cold Fire. I love Cold Play. We'll see you then.